Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Catch Up, the podcast about contemporary hip-hop that examines where hip-hop has been, where it's going, and where it is. I'm Jordan Suwami. And I'm James Rathbone. Uh, and today we are going to talk about uh, Nipsey Hussle, rapper from L.A. who uh, unfortunately passed away last week. And there's been a huge outpouring of grief and support for him and his family, and a lot of discussion about the impact and things that he stood for in music and in hip hop and in his own community. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, it's if if you weren't aware of Nipsey Hussle before this week, you might have been surprised at the just the magnitude of grief that's you know, it's just like a an outpouring uh, across the world. I mean, there there's memorials being held in different cities. There's a massive memorial held here in Toronto. Yeah, uh, last Thursday. And uh, if, I mean, he, you know, he's an artist who never had like a number one hit or anything close to a number one hit, except, you know, maybe, maybe album-wise, but not single-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he never had sort of that kind of popularity where, you know, your mother might have heard of him if she's not like a really cool mom. Uh, But he's the kind of person who I think had a a much deeper impact of sort of a quality over quantity type of mentality that his fans, the kind of connection he had with his fans. Yes. It reminds me of uh, something you said about uh, our friend Noreen once you were like, (laughs) respected by the people worthy of respect yes and that's like totally the nipsey hustle story yeah exactly so we'll get into that later but uh first we wanted to d- talk some about some housekeeping notes but mm-hmm. stuff that's been going on with, with us lately uh first of all we've noticed uh, a massive increase in listeners particularly through spotify yeah so if you're uh, one of our new listeners from spotify like shout out to you yeah and also if you're somehow involved in that happening at spotify shout out to you as well yeah i don't, I don't know how it happened we were, we were trending on spotify yeah um which is a nice surprise and it's just nice to have a bunch of new listeners so uh just to to if you guys like are digging looking through the archives and want to find out like what some of our really strong episodes are to dig into um there's a few that i think really stand out like We've heard a lot about uh, our episode about Drake and Pusha T, mm-hmm. which I believe is episode four. Yeah. Um, which was like, kind of like, that's a universally beloved episode. Other episodes that we've heard good stuff about are like the Metro Boomin episode, which mm-hmm. is episode 20. It's like maybe uh, my favorite episode. Yeah, that was a really fun one. Um, our Little Peep episode, which is an episode number... 21. Our, uh, our Little Peep episode, which is episode 21. How did we not do the 21 Savage episode for episode 21? It was a, it was a misguided was, choice yeah. that we made. Yeah, oh well. Um, we li- but yeah. live and learn. <laughs> That's right. So those are some some episodes that I think you you might like. Um, otherwise, this is I guess we're, this has been just a, like a really strong week for us. We got we got a little a little feature by Red Bull Music. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the people of Red Bull Music and Red Bull Red Bull Canada. Yeah. Um, they wrote a little bit about our party and our podcast and our film events, and they made a nice little video. Yeah. That, so that, that was nice. Yeah. And they talked about our playlist, which we have up on Spotify right now. It's mm-hmm. the, so if you search Red Bull music and then look through their playlist, you'll find the Boosie Fade playlist. Yeah. And we tend to just post, uh, make playlists of the songs, the songs that we're like kind of digging that yeah. features a lot of like Canadian talent, but also a lot of like international talent as well. Yeah, exactly. It, uh, it's the kind of thing you put on and impress your friends and pretend that you'd heard of all of this stuff before you started playing it. Yeah, and it's got some, it's got some, it's got some good deep cuts that you that might have passed you by if you 
haven't been listening to the new T-Pain album, for instance. Yeah. I mean, there's so much music out right now that, like, always, there's just, it's like constant every week, there's just so much new music that, like, unless you are, you know, doing it as, like, a full-time, semi-part-time job following the music, you will, you will, I, I miss stuff, you know, all yeah. the time. I have to... I have to do this podcast. I mean, if if, I, if we didn't have the Boosie Fade group constantly churning with like people showing new music, I don't even know yeah. when or how I would have heard of so many artists. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, you need to have like the attention span of the, the people who like first video game they played was like Halo, not with Super Mario Brothers. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like you have to have that kind of like computerized brain to keep up with it. Yes, and just one final thing. I mean, I guess, yeah, one final thing is that we have an event coming up in Toronto on Thursday, April 18th. It is our 2000s throwback jam. It's called Still Tippin'. It's going to be at Bangarang, which is on College Street in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, you're definitely going to come to that if you want to hear some 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 of the bangers from the 2000s. Yeah, T-Pain, for example. T-Pain, a little 3-6 Mafia, yeah. some Destiny's Child, There's a little so Amarie, you know, uh, just a lot of good stuff. So we'd love to see you there. And yeah, let's, let's 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 get into this. Let's get into the episode. So Nipsey Hustle, when when was the first time you heard of Nipsey Hustle? Uh, the first time I heard of Nipsey Hustle was in two thousand nine. I mean, back in the day, he like for me, he was one of the sort of people who kind of turned hip hop around at that time. When there was, like, you know, I, I've, I've spoken about this on the, the pop before, but my belief that in sort of around 2009, 2010 was like kind of the maybe one of the weakest points in hip hop of all time because it was sort of when this low point of when the labels had reached a, a level of uh, incompetency and were like shelving a lot of projects or delaying a lot of projects or mismanaging projects by artists who are breaking out like you know we've talked about sort of like wale or someone like that who was exciting and then they drop a major label album and it's not in their spirit or gucci Mane or someone like that and yet it's also a time when a lot of the artists that have been the best uh sort of the biggest best artists of this past decade came out such as drake j cole kid cuddy uh and so on and kendrick, nipsey hustle kendrick. was pardon me kendrick and kendrick i mean yeah uh he's a slightly later but yeah, the sort of 2009 era. Nipsey Hussle, to me, was was a part of that. It was sort of like, in the 2000s, West Coast, it was sort of after dominating a lot of the 90s, there was really only the game being like sort of the biggest artist to break out. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a little that brief hyphy moment in the, in the mid-2000s that's sort of... Yeah, but that's like more Bay over, Area. The Bay Area. You know, but I, LA had the, they had the, the jerkers. That's the true. Dance, they had the, the dance yeah, movement. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then it was like... Yeah, the nocturnal in the early part of the decade. Dr. Dr. Dre's various proteges, mm -hmm. Bishop Lamont and like um, Cassius, like various people. That, but they, they, they didn't John really get Wayne. very far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some weird deep cuts right here. Yeah. Um, but then, so Nipsey Hussle was like the first, uh, when there was sort of this rap revival happening and like rebirth kind of happening around 2009, 2010, Nipsey Hussle was the West Coast sort of vanguard of that. Um he, he, you know, the the first song that I remember hearing and like still to this day, one of my favorite songs by him was Hustle in the House, which like had, uh, well, you'll, you'll hear it in a second, but it has this classic G-Funk like riff in it, but also with the updated trap drums. It still sounds like quite fresh now and we should listen to it. Look, I'm coming straight off the of slums. I 
crazy motherfucker named Nipsey. I'm turned up, cause I grew up in the 60s. Caution, till you rap niggas try to diss me. I go hard, that's why your bitch wanna flip me. Big guns, nigga turn rivals into rosaries, extended clips. I give a fuck who you supposed to be. Straight off the block, I sold dope to buy groceries. Now it's rap money, no advances, all royalties. You broke, nigga, you can follow me. It's fuck bitches, get money, keep some hollow heads logically. And I'm for where I'm a side boost the economy. Pay taxes to these corners and put their work as a policy. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, like the classic G-Funk sound, like Nipsey's from Crenshaw, like uh, South Los Angeles. Yeah, Slauson. Slauson. Um, and he was a member, kind of was a, his crew was a rolling 60s, like a Crip crew. Well, they're, they're not just any Crip gang. They're like one of the biggest Crip gangs in the world. They're, they're, they like are like major, major uh, force in Los Angeles, the rolling 60s. Yep. And that's kind of like the, the crew's repped his whole career in life. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So like Nipsey pretty early on in his, in his career kind of had, there's, you can find videos of him talking about the way that he wanted to approach the music industry and just his career in general. And he was very focused on on ownership mm -hmm. and like early on in his career, he had a deal with uh, cinematic music group and I think it was a joint venture with Epic records yeah. and cinematic music group is a really good, like kind of like indie label that does a lot of smart stuff. They've worked with like currency in the past and like just kind of always been really sharp, but the deal didn't really work out for Nipsey. Like I think he just didn't really have any of the breakout moments or stuff that he wanted. Mm -hmm. And in his breakfast club interview, his most recent one, which I believe was last year, uh, he talks about how he like he really wanted to get out of his deal with Epic at mm -hmm. some point and just kind of go the independent route. And that was a this is like you know as we're talking about 2009, 2010, around the time where going independent wasn't really like the move yeah. as it is now. Yeah, you know it's it still kind of was looked down upon in some ways. It's like it's almost as though like well no one in the majors wants wants to mess with you because you're not commercially viable. Yeah, it's essentially it was like for artists who are gonna shoehorn themselves into like the underground more or less. That's like. They think they put a sort of ceiling on the type of success that they can have that it's like a major is not, probably not going to put the effort in towards them. So they shouldn't even try being on a label like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, Drake, who, you know, was a, a hit from sort of day one once he was signed to a major, uh, signed to Cash Money, which was like, I mean... Him and him and Nicky is the two of like the most successful artists signed to the most poisonous record label, <laughs> you know, around is after it, years after many artists known for getting screwed. That's just that, the power of Lil Wayne. It is the power of Lil Wayne, but it was still a testament to the importance of labels at the time mm -hmm. because Drake came out now as Drake. He would not be signing to Cash Money. That's right. That's right. He'd be signing to Apple Music. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> direct deal. Um, but but Nipsey's mindset around this was a kind of rejection of conventional music industry wisdom knowledge mm -hmm. and what he was doing he was a student of the game in the purest in the purest sense like another thing they talk about uh angela you mentioned in the breakfast club interview how nipsey was always at the music conferences and mm -hmm. all of the different summits just yeah. like soaking in knowledge like he was like somebody who wanted to understand the nuts and bolts of music industry contracts and how and how artists actually are financially supported or compensated properly mm -hmm. and in his his mindset in going independent, he was following a, a blueprint built by a few specific artists. Yeah, it was E Forty who yeah. was one of the first artists to really truly understand that you can make a lot of money in the music industry without being the biggest artist. Yeah, and the way you have to do that is creating your own 
you're kind of building your own machine. Yeah, exactly. making your own relationships with with different record stores and distributors. You know, kind of like the metaphorical selling out of the trunk, yeah. which some artists do did literally. Yeah. So E40, Master P. Yeah. Um, there's there's just been a legacy of of people who've who've kind of done this, and that's that's what Nipsey was tr- trying to remodel his career after. Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, rap artists either were getting totally screwed on their deals or just couldn't even get sort of signed on in the first place. And that's sort of where the um, original sort of independent rap labels started. You know, Rap-A-Lot Records, Cash Money Records, No Limit Records, Mm -hmm. Rockefeller, Bad Boy, Death Row. I mean, these, you know, these were artists who, well, often started by artists or just started by label heads who knew that their was like no reason that these uh, major labels that were mostly run by people had nothing to do with the culture that these the you know rap comes from whites <laughs> yeah pretty much uh, would have anything to do you know have anything any interest in their artist success beyond like you know a dollar tomorrow more or less or a dollar today and less so tomorrow you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and like i mean the history of black music is just full of artists getting screwed i mean like yeah it's like the it's the you know you don't see any profits of the sales of the music but here's a cadillac or yeah exactly you know here's a a house with a mortgage that i'm not going to tell you kicks in after a certain period of time you yeah know? it's just like really exploitative manipulative stuff and I know Nipsey was very focused on the idea of like of black ownership and artists owning what they create mm-hmm. from an early point in his career. And I mean, and that just wasn't just in his uh, sort of behind the scenes business. Uh, it was really like a core focus of so much of his music, the sort of sense of uh, independence, sense of striving, sense of, you know, uh, really just being responsible for your own success. And and in the early days of his career, like, I mean, at the point where he kind of had this new mindset, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012 era, he was working a lot with YG. Mm-hmm. And the two of them, even though they're from uh, different sets yeah. in Los Angeles, were very were very instrumental in putting LA rap back on the map. Yeah. With the, with, uh, the help, obviously, of TDE. But just, like, the idea of them creating a new movement where there wasn't one before yeah. was a big thing. And the way, the way that Nipsey's, uh, Nipsey's independence manifested itself with, took on a very interesting and unique spin. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2013, when he put out his album Crenshaw, he did it with this, this mindset and this strategy that at the time I thought was absolutely insane, yeah. uh, but proved to be very, very beneficial for him. And he he decided to release a limited edition uh, version of this of this record where there was only a thousand physical copies, and they were each sold for a hundred dollars a piece. Mm-hmm. And this was a completely independent thing, so like you know he would be re- reaping most of the, pop, the profits from this, yeah. And he invested all his own money in record in the recording of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking at the time like this is batshit insane. Yeah, who's who's buying albums at, like at all, let alone spending a hundred dollars on them. And well, to yeah. to to Luckily didn't ask us for advice. <laughs> <laughs> to the surprise of maybe everyone, yeah. except for Nipsey, it sold out immediately. Mm-hmm. It got a huge amount of press. Yeah, Jay Z was so impressed, I think, with this idea and mm-hmm. the idea of an artist kind of taking control of his own future that he bought a hundred copies himself. Yeah. 
just off this just off the strength of of the the thinking behind it and it just i think it really kind of put nipsey on the map in a way for a lot of people just understanding that this not only is this person uh a different like different thinker like a unconventional thinker in a business full of conventional thinkers mm-hmm. he's also somebody with a fan base that where people would drop a hundred dollars on on one of his records exactly and i mean and that I think just says so much about the type of um, culture that he wanted to sort of create. That it was about supporting. You know, it's not like you're not just supporting an artist by like streaming them or you know listening to them sometimes, but that like you're sort of actually really in a community with the artist, even if you don't know them per se. Like if you're like a Nipsey Hussle fan, you're like invested. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like you're. It's like uh, I'm gonna listen to Nipsey Hussle today, and then I don't even remember listening to him tomorrow. It is like you know, you you are a part of something as being a Nipsey Hussle fan. It's such a good point, and I think it's like it's interesting because this is another key thing of what was so influential and important about him is that that investment that he got from fans and his supporters, he reinvested in mm-hmm. his fans and supporters in his own community, which we'll get into a little later. But let's listen to a song from Crenshaw. This is Summertime in, the, in That Cutlass uh, by Nipsey Hussle. Look, summertime in that cutlass. All these young hoes is fucking. All these young niggas is hustling. Pull up thick to that function. Pull out guns and start busting. Cause niggas not with no fussing. Roll up cushions, shoot hundreds. And take no bitch like it's nothing. We was living fast, we was rushing. Niggas burnt and crashed on that dumb shit. And it's fucking sad cause we was puppets. Had to learn so fast to switch hustles. And my back. That's 1200 and my fucking pack is illustrious and I still kill one of you niggas because I'm not ready for the fuck shit. And we was raised around hustlers. Yes. And then after after that, I think following the success of this and just becoming at this point, I feel like this is where Nipsey became more entrenched in the music industry. Mm -hmm. It's like Nipsey Hustle is someone to reckon with and to understand that this person is doing important stuff in the music industry. Yeah. Um, And his next album that he put out, I think two years later, 2015, Mailbox Money, also had another kind of insane gambit he stepped it up uh, a notch they were her each album was a thousand dollars that's right there was like a hundred a hundred copies copies and he was selling each for a thousand dollars yeah and he sold 60 of them yeah so you know needless to say he probably recouped on uh yeah (laughs) that expenditure just even the idea of like selling that's just so insane it is you know it's like the you know the the i don't know the the confidence you would have to have in your own business decision making at, yeah. at, to do something like that is like paramount but i mean then, then you think about it like he obviously has a network where he's like i know at least 60 people who will be spending a thousand dollars to impress me or i know 50 and I, I know i got at least 10 fans that are crazy enough uh-huh, you know uh-huh, uh-huh. um because i mean ultimately i think he you know he it's it's like he understood that he could kind of be offering something that was a little bit of like a status thing, obviously, to be able to spend a thousand dollars, but also it just on the strength of the level of support that was behind him, that people that's something that people would feel pride in mm-hmm. being able to do. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I think the another thing about him that a lot of people really liked about this is that I, at this time with the declining record sales, and this is before even streaming had really permeated the culture in the way that it has now mm-hmm. it he was he was trying to reconstruct value for the artistic output in the music industry when at the time most of the, a lot of artists were still 
it was like the free mixtape model. It was like I put out a free mixtape. Then mm-hmm. if I get songs that are popular from that, I'll be able to tour off of that. Mm-hmm. Club appearances. And Club stuff. appearances, so so etc. But Nipsey was saying the music itself has value. Mm-hmm. And even though everyone else has devalued it, I my music has value. And this is the value that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm setting the price. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's, the thing is, like all along, so much of what he's rapped about has been, you know, the, the value of hard work. And it's sort of, it's like a, almost there's a kind of, feedback loop in that i feel like you listen to his music he talks about the realities of pursuing success and that, that there is it's worth it that it's worth you know and that you know his music has this sort of highly motivational nature mm-hmm. and i feel like that only adds to the sort of perceived value for his fans in his work mm-hmm. because it you you feel like you're you know it's, it's you're sort of inspired to change your life and to be at a, a certain place. Definitely. I think that, I mean, we'll get into this more when we start talking about victory lap, but I think that Nipsey's whole vibe is that he's obviously like very much in the mold of traditional gangster rappers from California, from Los Angeles specifically, but he's also, he's like a conscious gangster rapper, yeah. you know, or like a, a like a entrepreneurial. He's very much like, a, to me, like the West Coast Jay-Z, like mm. I, you know, especially sort of uh, Jay-Z, um, like, blueprint to, like, Black Album of, like, you know, self-made millionaire, like, the streets are hard, but, like, it's worth it to, like, you know, sort of pursue, like, a higher goal that, like, you can actually make your life better. And it's sort of this, like, American dream rap, basically, that it's, like, American dream for the people that the American dream wasn't intended to be for. Hmm. more or less yeah and i think it's like it makes me think of another thing that like e40 was good was good at which is just filling your music with just all these different jewels of of game yeah. you know of like uh which makes you think of this like asap yams qu- quote um where he was talking about so somebody asked him on his tumblr his very influential tumblr he's like you do you only, you only fuck with trap artists or do you like niggas that, act, that can actually rap too and he was essentially, he essentially said, he's like, you know, I grew up on the rock hymns and big and the bigs, but I'm a student of the game will forever just be that. And he essentially says that like the, to me, rap is not just about lyricism. Mm -hmm. What rap is actually about is how much game you get from the music. Mm -hmm. So like, what are you learning from the music? What are the messages that they're, that they're trying to to send you? Mm -hmm. And like, what do you derive from that? Yeah. And I think that's like an important thing for people to think about, including in this era where people you know, lyricism is not at the forefront of the culture of hip hop mm-hmm. culture as it maybe was in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still a ton of artists who, even in this construct who are just like dropping jewels, you yeah. know? And I feel like Nipsey was always somebody that did that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's listen to a song from mailbox money. This is a uh, hundred a show with Nipsey hustle and Rick Ross. Yeah. Look, need a hundred shows so we can fly on a jet. Girl, you always ready for sex. Keep my honest game and let the money invest. The nigga, I'ma die for my fucking respect. You fucking with a young nigga, two twelves in the trunk, nigga. Having everything he want, nigga. Life in a rush, nigga. Probably never get enough, nigga. All he wanna do is stunt, niggas always looking up to him. Whole spot going up to him. New money getting stuck to him. Life it was rough to him. Skinny nigga, he was buff to it. Trying to do it like Puff do it, do it like Russ do it. Real life show what's up to him. And at this point, after after Mailbox Money comes out, 
Nipsey, who's like extremely active in the entrepreneurial space, just like building businesses, making mm-hmm. connections in the tech world. Uh, he eventually signs a deal with, with Atlantic Records, mm-hmm. which he was able to go into this deal in a way that he wouldn't have been able to go in, even in 2015 when Mailbox Money came out, or any other time before in his career, where he had spent the previous eight, seven, eight years as a completely independent artist who had garnered the respect of the entire rap community, the entire rap world, people outside of it as well, and now could go to a label and get a deal that w- that had terms that were advantageous to him, mm-hmm. which is like traditionally not the method of the way that people have been doing things. Yeah, I mean, but but at this point, like 2018, this is kind of like more of the model where artists, with the advent of like streaming and social media, where you have a direct relationship with your fans and you don't need it mediated through an MTV or you know a Double XL or any kind of like media publication. Like they help, but they're not the only engine that drives a machine. Um, Nipsey was able to get a deal with Atlantic that he really liked. Yeah, and I think a lot of the that is that even though they're called record companies, uh, they're it's not really what they're. It's like they're more like music companies now. They're not really that focused on the just the transaction of I'm going to give you some money to make an album and then we'll split the the profits, whatever arrangement we have. It's much more about the whole enterprise. And like, I mean, I don't know if the the details of the deal specifically ever came out, but you can bet that, you know, they were very favorable terms that just allowed him to, you know, have essentially more distribution, more uh, sort of muscle behind his release than he'd had for his previous, uh, well, they were actually all Mm mixtapes. That's sort of the funny thing about it, that Victory Lap, which came out... uh, in 2018, um, almost 10 years to when he sort of broke into like the rap consciousness, uh, was his actual debut album. It's almost like a J, a J Electronica kind of distance, except J Electronica didn't put out like you know five mixtapes. Yeah, there was no mixtapes <laughs> <laughs> and no eventual album either. Yeah, <laughs> but this ahead. this album was uh, an immediate critical hit yeah just the amount of people i mean even for me i remember this is the album that that i mean when this came out i was just kind of like oh wow like nipsey hustle is incredible Mm -hmm. but yeah i think i just think that this album was such an interesting way for him to kind of announce himself in a in a bigger way like he Mm -hmm. i think this is like this is a good model of what you can do with label support in the sense of making a project that feels grandiose in the way that a lot of debut albums do Mm -hmm. but with somebody like this where you've had this track record of you know 13 mixtapes or whatever of music that it's like it just it's showcasing an elevation you Mm -hmm. know the production's more is more is bigger it's larger you know there's people like diddy showing up on the album yeah and diddy diddy he developed a relationship with diddy because Lauren London and Cassie are friends. Really? Yes. Oh, interesting. So Lauren London alley-ooped him, the, the Diddy relationship. And then Diddy was like involved in this album. I don't know. I really, I really love this album. I think there's so many great songs. And just like, it's also interesting to see like the diversity of the style of songs on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like right off the top, like one of my favorite songs is like really early on in the album is like Rap Niggas, which I just think is like a really, 
I I just love the concept of the song mm-hmm. where I mean it fits very much with the narrative of his career where he's like I'm nothing like you rap niggas like mm-hmm. we have nothing in common like yeah. I do things very differently um, so let's listen to a little bit of rap niggas right now by Nipsey Hussle. Nah, I ain't nothing like you fucking rap niggas. Hustle man a shooter that's a fact nigga. Thirty two extendos in my Mac nigga. Spend a thousand on some t-shirts up in sacks nigga. What what are some songs on this album that you were into or vibes that you liked from this? Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously Dedication with Kendrick, which I felt like was sort of, to me, it's like, this like when this album came out it was roughly around when black panther came out last mm-hmm, year mm-hmm. and it was like there is the con- this connection in my mind between like what black panther represented and what the nipsey hustle album represented in terms of like black enterprise on like a big stage mm-hmm. they're actually released on the exact same day well, really- february 16th well, 2018 so i'm glad it wasn't just like something i made up in my head that Me too. Uh, yeah <laughs> um that like yeah it was like with along with a sort of you know um Steve uh Kugler and like the uh, you know Black Panther being like just such a phenomenal success and sort of it just not it not being just this kind of you know uh blockbuster like blockbuster that's kind of like the fifth film down on the on the list but like a global phenomena of like black culture and success it was like nipsey hustle's triumphant like debut was related and i felt like dedication is sort of like was the bridge in my mind between Mm, those two because it's the kendrick feature Uh, and also just sort of like speaks to sort of the his range a little bit because it's a little bit of like a softer kind of tone for him to be kind of talking about sort of a lot of the sort of similar tropes but it isn't in the like sort of same g-funk style as a lot of his his stuff or g-funk sort of trap it's true and i think that another great thing about this song is that there's a section in kendrick's verse where he he talks about what he admires about nipsey hustle Mm. and it's just like you know i think that a lot of things that you know we've had there's been a lot of a lot of like unfortunate and untimely passings in hip-hop in the last few years and what always tends to happen is that there's this massive outpouring of support for that person um, sometimes from people that had never publicly said anything about them before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some for some people that reads as like, you know, people just trying to get pro- proximity to somebody that everyone is celebrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, with a, you know, I think with a fair, that's a fairly cynical read that I, but I can sort of understand that. Mm-hmm. But I think what's beautiful about this song is that Kendrick celebrates Nipsey in the way that we're talking about him right now and yeah. he did it while he was still alive. It's true. You know? Yeah. And so let's listen to Dedication by Nipsey Hussle and Kenny Kumar. Look, my nigga, this is dedication. This is anti-hesitation. It's a real nigga celebration. It's a dime block declaration. 59th and 5th that granny house with vanilla wafers. It's the remedy to separation. Tupac of my generation. Blue pill in the fucking matrix. Red rose in the great pavement. Young black nigga trapped and he can't change it. No, he a genius, he just can't claim it. Cause they left him no platform to explain it. He frustrated, so he get faded. But deep down inside, he know you can't fade him. How long should I stay dedicated? How long till yeah, I Yeah, totally the biggest song for me, like, um, my favorite song from the record is Last Time That I Checked featuring YG. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it. I, I played it on Friday at Boozy Fade, and like, it just like felt like you know, sort of monumental, and has it just has like, uh, I don't know, just like it's, it's just like an anthem. Yeah, absolutely, and it's also it's another great thing because like like a lot of Nipsey songs, they're all banging on the same themes. You mm-hmm. know, it's about it's about people who are living the street life and trying to find a way out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think Nips, what Nipsey was trying to sh- say in the song and show through his actions and his music is that, you know, you don't have to just, just because you grew up, circumstances led you to gang life or street life uh, as a teen or as a young person. You don't have to just stick in that one lane and like, let that be your entire life. You mm-hmm. know, that there's more to the world. There's more to, there's more to be done. There's also like, you know, it's possible for you, even the person who thinks that they have no op- no access to opportunity and no people to that can get you there. Mm-hmm. Nipsey is an example of somebody that did it on his own and was able to do this. Yeah. And so he's, you know, the song he's talking about people, he's talking about people trying to feed their kids. He's talking about single moms. He's talking about, he's talking about just the idea of, of black ownership and mm-hmm. how he is a representative of that. Yeah. I think like one of the things that's so, uh, sort of compelling to me about this song and just Nipsey in general is not he isn't just like sending a message that like you can you know get rich and have nice cars through you know crime or like selling drugs but he what he's saying is that you can live a life of integrity and of you know sort of respect and like have live like a life worth admiring uh, no matter the circumstance you come from. And, like, you, you know, just because you're, like, from the street doesn't mean that you have no morals, that you have no ambitions, that you your life doesn't have, like, worth. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that to me, I think, is, is... And he was able to do that and not sound preachy, essentially. That's, like, the, what, what is so impressive, that especially... I was going to say the gold standard of hip hop. No, that's the diamond standard of hip hop. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of people that are able to do that. Yeah. You know? It's very hard. It's extremely difficult. Yeah. So let's listen to a bit of Last Time That I Checked, uh, Nipsey Hustle and YG. Last time that I checked, it was five chains on my neck. It was no smut on my rep. Last time that I checked, I was selling songs in the set. Make a quarter mil, no sweat. Last time that I checked. I'm the streets voice out west, legendary self-made progress. Last time that I checked, first you get the money, the respect, and the power in the hoes come next. Last time that I checked, I've been self-made from the dribble. I was been saying I'm a killer. Nah, playing no games with you niggas. Pop clutch, switch lanes on you niggas. Nah, I laid down the game for you niggas. Taught you how to. And just to just to to piggyback off of what you were saying about the integrity thing. Um, Nipsey Hussle exuded integrity in nearly every facet of his life. Uh, his his clothing store, the Marathon Clothing in Crenshaw, which is where he was when um, he, which is where he like passed away. Mm-hmm. It they he had a mindset of like it was a part of a, a strip of that he was a huge part of redeveloping, uh, along with some like a real estate billionaire and various other people. But mm-hmm. you know he was. He was including, there's a co-working space there. He had a center for, for like a STEM center for people in science and technology, like with the mindset of getting more young black youth from disadvantaged circumstances into the tech world. Because, mm-hmm. you know, black people in general, especially poor black people are extremely un- underrepresented in the tech space. 
And even at his, at his clothing store, the marathon, he, they routinely like hired felons, like hired people who were trying to re- improve their lives mm-hmm. and had trouble getting jobs elsewhere because, you know, I think on nearly every job form, it's like, have you ever been convicted of a, fe- you know, felony crime? Mm-hmm. And you have to like, be truthful. But then t- for some people, it's like, I mean, for a lot of employers, they're just not going to hire you. With that. Mm-hmm. And Nipsey was trying to lead by example, by showing you can re-welcome people into the community, but you have to like, you have to assist them and give them the opportunity to succeed. Yeah. I mean, he, what I'd heard is that the day that he died, he, um, even though he knew that there was like, potential trouble he went to his store with no security to get clothes for someone who needed them for like a job interview who'd gotten out of jail that's right a friend of his who'd gotten out of jail i think after being in for quite some time nipsey was taking him to his clothing store to set him up with a bunch of clothes so that he looked good yeah and i mean he wasn't you know there's just all all of these kinds of stories coming out about him people would say like community organizers said that if you ever needed, have, were having like a silent auction or needed something like that, you could always depend on Nipsey to send some kind of like signed merch or something like that without ever having heard of you, ever having an introduction before. You could just contact his management and you would get something back within a couple days. There's a, there's a story that I think has sort of almost gone viral about uh, a woman whose husband was uh, changing the, the streetlight bulbs on Crenshaw and how like this man came out from one of the stores and was just essentially offering him stuff like being you know really excited that he was there you know kind of taking care of the street and it turned out that that was Nipsey it wasn't like just someone that worked for him or something it was like this rap star was coming out supporting this like city worker Mm -hmm. you know and I feel like that that's why to me those those kinds of stories are such a huge part of why he have the like it feels so tragic and why the grief has been like a, like a deluge like it just like an, a, a, like it feels like the world is so collectively sad about his passing. Mhm. Mhm. It just it you know you don't even have to be a huge fan of his music to understand what that means, you know? Like it doesn't it's not like Nipsey Hussle had to have released like the your favorite album ever for you to feel that. Mm-hmm. You know. And I you know he he's just so beloved by seemingly like everybody that knew him, you know. Mm-hmm. I I think that it just says so much about someone, especially in an industry like music, which is so shady. You know, people are take advantage of each other all the time. You know, are so egotistical and you know are, are really often just driven by ego. Uh, Nipsey obviously stood out as someone who you know was a, a, a real person with um a lot of values that weren't just this sort of uh, persona he put on that he really truly lived and i think that i mean if i could say anything it's like it's worth dipping into uh a lot of the interviews that nipsey has done to just see kind of understand where he was coming from and how he thought and why a lot of people have taken a lot of messages away from what the things that he was saying and espousing and yeah I think just listen to his music, mm-hmm. you know? Check out Victory Lap. It's a great album. It was nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. You know, and, and be going going through, like, have his journey. I mean, in some ways, like, Nipsey represented kind of one of the best things about rap music. Like, the improbability of, like, success and uh, of artistry and, you know, sort of financially and bettering one's circumstances for these people who've come from, like, impossible circumstance, 
you know, people who have put it in these situations that like your average middle-class person can't really fathom. And they, they take that and they better themselves. And then Nipsey did one better and then went back to where he came from and, and tried to make it the best he could. And that's the end of this week's episode of Catch Up. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, all our new listeners coming through. Um, yeah. If you, if you want to help out the podcast and support us, in addition to subscribing on iTunes or following us on Spotify, is the one thing that you could do that would be very helpful is to just turn one person onto this podcast. Yeah. You could tell one friend about the podcast, either in person or uh, texting or on Instagram or whatever. It would, it would be a huge help because that's the way that we spread. We're an independent podcast. We've been clawing our way to the middle <laughs> yeah and the top is next and we need your help yeah exactly and and i mean podcasts are all about real sort of connections it's not like you know uh just liking a post is the sort of what it's all about it's about you you know people listening and you probably got a friend who would life would uh, be that much better for you know listening to catch up so I, I agree with that also follow our instagram account it's at catch up podcast and uh, slide into our DMs. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're liking, what you want us to discuss, because yeah. we will listen to you. Indeed. Um, yeah, so that's it for this week. Yeah. As always, shout out our producer, Kyle, for all the work he puts in behind the scenes. If you're looking to hire a podcast producer, hire Kyle. Yeah. He's amazing. We it's, wouldn't be able to make this without him. Especially uh, anybody with like really big budgets. If you got that, if you have got that guap, holler at Kyle. Yeah. Slide into the catch-up DMs for that, too. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. We will see you next week. Yeah, take care.